0: This is an ABC podcast. On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria.
1: This is the Conversation Hour. It wasn't that long ago that you could sell your car for more than you paid for it because we had such a short supply of new and second-hand cars available. But we're sort of at this interesting point in time when it comes to the future of cars we drive and the value that they hold. As many of us move towards electric vehicles or want to move towards electric vehicles, brands stop production of petrol cars... What will happen to all of our old cars? Good morning. I'm Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, joining you from ABC Shepparton, Nick Healy. Nick, it feels like we're kind of at this crossroads of petrol and EV cars. What what do we do with them? You are either transitioning or want to transition, and then what gets left behind? What do we do with it?
2: It's something I'm asking myself at the moment because I am personally at that crossroads. start of the year, I did buy uh, not a new car, a new car for me, a new second-hand car. Mm-hmm. There we go. That's new a wonderful for oxymoron. Um, and I, as you were just saying, I managed to sell my old car for exactly what I'd paid for it four or five years earlier, which blew my mind. See, so
1: it's still strong.
2: It's still strong, but there was a huge debate um, in my house about whether we would get a second-hand petrol car or make that move into an EV car. Now, eventually, for multiple reasons, we got a petrol car. I'm really looking at that now and thinking that is the last one I will own. This is it. We're moving on from here.
1: So what then happens, because I think a lot of people are in a similar situation where they think this is the last petrol car that I'm going to own. What then happens with all of those old petrol cars? Do they get sold to another market overseas? Do they get pulled apart and recycled? Are, Are parts worth something? Or do we end up with these, I have these visions, these <laughs> awful visions, like, you know, all of the aeroplanes out in the deserts in California. I have these images of petrol tips, of petrol car landfill. Like, what, what are we going to do once that transition starts to wait towards electric vehicles?
2: It's somewhere between the cars that ate Paris and an elephant's graveyard. I love it. Yeah, I can see the image myself as well. Um, I don't know because also we're looking at the idea that for many people, a car is not just a piece of transport, Mm. it is something that they will hang on to. You know, we've got to talk classic cars. I I used to edit a few different car magazines. I edited the um, Ferrari owner magazine, the Jag owner magazine, a couple of racing magazines. (laughs) I mean, for especially people who are buying those classic vehicles or those luxury vehicles, this is more than just transport. There's a a larger conversation to be had there. And for vintage cars, for classic cars, where do they stand when we
1: finally transition away from petrol? Are they still classic if there's no petrol motor in them?
2: Now, there's going to be a big debate about that.
1: Wow. So where are you at? Are so you currently driving your last petrol car? Do you feel like you're at a petrol EV crossroads? Are you waiting for electric vehicle prices to come down or are they simply not for you?
3: This is
1: the Conversation Hour plenty of conversation already on Text line, Nick Healy around whether or not people feel like they're driving their last petrol car and many people are still passionate ab- about their petrol car that they want to hold on to it it's something they don't think that EVs are where they should be yet that it's not for them whether it be on price or whether it be on geography of where you live but that idea of being at a crossroads and not knowing what to do when especially when petrol cars are still holding their value.
2: I've got to say price is where it comes down to for many people and myself included. Um, I think Australia is behind the eight ball a little bit in terms of making sure that EVs are an option that we can have in terms of, you know, that, that bank balance. There's still a lot of what we call range anxiety. People concerned that an electric car doesn't work if you're in a regional area. I'm in a regional area right now. I know I'm not far from Melbourne, but I can tell you there's a lot of electric cars on the road in Shepparton driving around doing very, very well. When I was in regional New South Wales, Dubbo, which is a long way from anywhere, had a charging station, had a mayor who was an absolute EV evangelist, um, and that plenty of people came through. There is a real way to make that work. I get what some of the concern is, though. And, um, and again, you know, you mentioned the text line. Someone said, I've got my beautiful 1976 combi camper that'll be by my side forever. Again... Many people, this is a lifestyle choice to have these beautiful classic cars. And we want to make sure people can do that. I think they're they're gorgeous. You know, especially here in Sheppard, a lot of love for the classic vehicles. Not far from me is Move, uh, the Museum of Vehicular Evolution. You'll see vital. <laughs> yeah, it is just beautiful. The some of the cars in there are stunning. And of course many of the people, you know, who are contributing those cars, their passion is these vehicles. They are so passionate about these cars.
1: This text, as awesome as EVs are, the reality is the Australian car market is far from ready to compete and and change over for quite some time. One, being that new EVs availability totally sucks in Australia. And two, (laughs) the price of EVs is still not affordable. Or maybe I'm just on that poor lower income. But that's exactly right. I think a lot of people are waiting for the price of EVs to come down. Well, Mike Sing Claire is the Editor-in-Chief of Car Sales. Mike, are people still holding on to their petrol cars at the moment?
4: Oh, I think, look, absolutely, there's a desire to change, but I think there's some practicalities around what people can afford and what people's uh, use case is. Most Australians who live in cities could use an electric car now and live with it very well. Um, that is the reality of it, at least if they've got the ability to charge at home.
2: Mm.
4: Um, but the... the the practicalities of availability of cost all those sorts of things and and you know as you say that sort of fear of change is probably hamstring us a lot one of the key things that we talk to um and i think this is one thing that the market needs to get its head around is that um there's price parity coming between petrol cars and evs but it's not because evs are going to get cheaper what we're going to see is over the next five to ten years is combustion engine cars are just going to get more expensive there's already been a substantial increase post-covid in sort of the average price of a new car there's going to be um you know contracted model lineups across many many brands and with that you're going to see the prices of petrol cars naturally move up as they um as fewer entry-level models are sold as um, the manufacturers need to fund the change to EV. Lots of interesting things happening and, and it's a fun thing to talk about.
2: It, Mike, you hear a lot of people saying that Australia is so far behind the rest of the world when it comes to making sure that EVs are getting to the market. A few people texting in already and saying, you know, we've got to look to Europe and see what they're doing. Is there truth to that? Are we lagging behind the world?
4: Look, it's an easy it's an easy thing to say and it's an easy thing to, to lay at the feet of the manufacturers and the government but i think the demand for globally for evs is so strong now that you know even if australia had massive incentives the reality is that the disincentives for manufacturers to move them out of europe for instance the huge fines that they'll get from european um the european union and governments on emissions mean that you know we are still going to be at the end of the end of the supply chain um in terms of evs there's if you want an ev now you can buy one um you know there are you might be waiting a couple of months for some of them but the reality is now with some hybrid and some petrol engine vehicles you're waiting three years so it's an easy criticism to to make I, i'm not sure how valid it continues to be um but Again, you know, at some stage there needs there'll be a reckoning in terms of yeah. the, um, you know, the the what the government can pay, what infrastructure needs to be, what and what consumers see as the value of electric cars. Look, having having lived with electric cars now, I can tell you, range anxiety pretty much goes out of the window pretty quickly, mm. um, uh, and you know, and and there is that, um, I guess that the realization that you know you only have to plan slightly more to be able to live with one quite re- realistically unless unless you're travelling thousands of kilometers or unless you're towing
1: and it's funny because every time we have this conversation it becomes quite apparent that in australia it feels like we're very behind and that we, you know, we spoke about whether or not we're going to end up with this tip of petrol cars, but the fact is we probably already are. We're like, we we take all of the old cars that other countries won't take. Mike Sinclair, stay with us because Mark's call from Swan Hill. Hi, Mark. Uh how you doing? Good, mate. What do you want to say? Uh, yeah, look, I'm
5: just a bit concerned. I know EV is the way we have to go, but it's not going to work for for many people, and I think those many people are sometimes the ones that are going to get left behind. Like, for example, I do 10,000 Ks every six weeks, and that's just to get to the job. So I, mean, I haven't worked it out, but how much recharge time would that be? I don't think there'd be enough hours in the day for me to continue working because I work in rural areas and uh, sole trader provide services. So what sort of vehicle, I don't think there is one, that can um, actually do the job for me?
2: and many others, of course. I mean, at the moment, I don't think there is a vehicle. No, I'd, I'd actually shudder to think, mate, what your recharge time would be like. You'd be looking at probably a few weeks and tidier on that one. But, I mean, do you think it's just where the technology is currently or would you do you never see an electric vehicle filling your needs? Yeah.
5: Oh, well, look. To be honest, I don't spend a whole lot of hours, you know, researching this to start with. I'm only going on what I hear in discussion, either on the radio, friends, you know, whatever. So, you know, I'm hoping that the um, uh, the technology will come along, and I'm quite sure that there's vehicle manufacturers mm. that love to provide um, for people such as myself. Um, but at the moment, that I don't think there is anything.
1: Interesting. I mean, Mike Sinclair, Mark and Swanhill. That I guess we hear that point quite a lot, and it's truly valid. Overseas, do they have the same issue? Like, has it been worked out somewhere well, else and we're just kind of crawling along?
4: It's interesting. The Australian market and the US market are quite similar in many ways in that, um, you know, long, big country, long distances, a tradition of big vehicles. Um, you get markets like California where it's probably a bit more akin to Melbourne and Sydney and there's a really high take up of electric vehicles but you know the biggest selling vehicle in the US is a, is a large full-size SUV uh, truck you know the Ford F-150 so um, there will be electrification of those. There's a company called Rivian Building, um, you know, the, an electric equivalent of an F-150 that will deliver around about a 800 to 1,000 kilometres range, oh, um, wow. really high performance. But, you know, it's not a cheap vehicle. Um, the The use case for electric vehicles or the use cycles, um, you know, our callers got a very specific use case, and that may be somewhere where we go to perhaps a plug-in hybrid Vehicle or even a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle in future, which um, which again gives you zero emissions um, uh, effectively, but also gives you the ability to refuel really quickly. That whole is an interesting conference been in in Europe this uh, last week. Uh, you know, international hydrogen conference looking at where hydrogen. Plays a role in transport, and it's probably going to be, you know, in the heavier vehicle parts, ships.
1: Because that's happening in other countries, isn't it? So you have hydrogen stations.
4: Yeah, very, still very limited. Um, Scandinavia's got a few because it's um, uh, it's sort of well funded by government there, but um, you know it's a toe in the water, and you've got big companies like Hyundai, BMW, Toyota, all looking really hard at plug-in at, um, at uh, fuel cell technology. It'll also be where we go with, um, as I said, ships and trucks.
2: Mike, I was just saying a bit earlier that when I sold my car at the start of the year, I actually got exactly what I'd paid yep. for it, an old petrol yep. car. Uh, I'd paid it, you know, three, four, five, six years ago, however long ago. Uh, that's got to be an inflated market. Those secondhand prices can't stay up where they are for much well, longer, surely.
4: Debatable. And they've, they've certainly flattened so that they're not increasing anymore, but they're still well up on pre-COVID. But the interesting thing huh. is that Um, You know, there is still demand. There's probably, we'll sell close to a million new vehicles in Australia this year, but there'll be about between four and five million used vehicles um, transferred across consumers. Um, One of the key things that is playing into that is not only the shortage of new vehicles, but as I said, that increasing cost of new vehicles. So whilst you would have been able to buy a fairly nice standard entry-level hatchback pre-COVID at sort of the 22 to 24 grand mark, those cars are now 27 to twenty-eight to $30,000. Um, so that difference between used and new prices um, is going to keep the used prices strong. In some other segments, um, you know, that may in the SUVs and ute segments, Um, there's just still tremendous demand. So it will be interesting to see where they
1: go. So many questions on text and we've got a full board of calls and we're going to try and get through as many of them as we can. But just finally, Mike Sinclair, lots of questions around leasing and second-hand EVs. Here's just one of them. This is from Kate. Uh, Rish and Nick, we're currently waiting on our new EV to arrive. We're fortunate enough to be leasing it through my husband's work. We couldn't afford to buy it, but leasing it is a no-brainer. Over five years, it works out to be the equivalent of purchasing a $35,000 petrol car. I believe the PM changed some legislation to try and encourage this, and I encourage your listeners to research the benefits of leasing. So I guess our final questions to you is, leasing evs but then the other is the second hand ev market are we starting to see evs on the second hand market yet
4: we are and i'll answer the first thing first the the leasing um arrangements to do with um, reduction of fbt on novated leases so if your employer offers a novated lease you can lease a new or used um ev uh within there's some Parameters in terms of date when it was first registered, that sort of thing, and it has to be under the luxury car tax limit of around about seventy-five grand. But it's very attractive if you if you have that opportunity. Um, in terms of secondhand, uh, again, you know, secondhand market's really hot at the minute. But there's there is throughput of, of EVs. There's a significant um, you know number of EVs being being sold and bought secondhand. Um, you're not going to get the latest technology. You're not going to get the latest EV. Some of them will have um, reduced range because of um, the type of vehicle they were to start with. But Tesla is a brand, for instance. Plenty of Teslas for sale secondhand um, as people upgrade, particularly from Model Three, the sedan, to Model Y, which is the SUV that seems to be flavour of the month.
1: And will we start to see cheaper EVs come in soon. I mean, this is the popularity uh, short is Short
4: answer is short answer is. No. Um, mm. What we're going to see is we're going to see more EVs coming in at around about that $40,000 mark. But you know, the reality of it is, there'll be very few that are cheaper than that. Most will wow. start with a five.
2: Mike Sinclair, thank you so much. Mike's the editor in chief of car sales. Uh, a couple of quick texts in people saying that you can't get an EV ute. People pointing out that there's plenty of EV utes. I think, this be yeah, I think there's maybe just been a miscommunication available
1: the moment, at yeah. the moment. And I'm loving the fact they're good. I have no idea. I but had, cannot, been made. Comment,
2: cannot comment. I think Warwick Long has driven one <laughs> and was not hugely impressed. But Gary and Wadonga saying we're actually towing a caravan, 850 kilos a caravan using an electric Volvo. It works fine. Just requires a little bit more planning like any trip.
1: Wow, and Martin says my late dad's 1927 Silver Ghost can never be changed to an EV. What happens to old cars when petrol is no longer sold? I've
5: got a car.
1: This is the conversation. Yeah. Rochelle Hunt and Nick Healy with you. (laughs) Many of us. There is no shortage of car songs, just quietly. We are at a crossroads. A lot of people are at a crossroads in terms of the future of the car That we drive and what we do with the current cars that we have. Do you continue buying petrol and and is your next car a petrol car? Do you drive the current petrol car that you have? (laughs) As people in my circle have said, (laughs) I'm just going to drive this one into the ground and then I'm going to look to an EV. I think lots of people are having this conversation around the dinner table at the moment of what's my next move?
2: It is a big conversation in my house at the moment, you know, and it's a funny thing to realign your thinking, because even in my head, I'm like, well, you know, we've got the petrol car we bought at the start of the year, uh, we'll drive that for a while and then we'll sell it. But who would buy it in a couple of years' time? I mean, it, we That's have it. to almost acknowledge that, is it a lost asset? Do we just need to write mm. it off? I don't know. And it's, it's, a, it's a big question for a lot of households, especially a lot of households who are feeling the budget pressure Absolutely. that
1: so Steve's in Yay, Hi, Steve.
2: Yeah. Hi, Rochelle. Hi, Nick. Um, I'm just wondering about
3: uh, hybrid vehicles, because in your conversation, you're talking about petrol vehicles
6: Mm.
2: or EV vehicles. Is a hybrid vehicle going to become a, a white elephant along with petrol vehicles? I don't know, and mm-hmm. I'm really curious about that myself, Steve, because it was something I was looking at. Uh, Mike even suggested that for um, uh, the chap who called in earlier, saying he does so many kilometres, you know, 10,000 kilometres a week, maybe a hybrid's a way to go with that. But, you know, you say, are they a white elephant? Are they a vehicle that's going to stick around, or are they an interstitial moment? And I don't have a good answer for you. I'm hoping we'll get one yeah. today, to be honest.
1: Daniel's out and about on the road. He's on his way to Adelaide. Hi, Daniel. Yeah, hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're on air. What did you want to say?
6: Yeah, hi.
3: I've I'm, I'm been driving EVs for about four years now. Um, I've currently just dropped my daughter off in Melbourne. i am driven over from Adelaide in one day. Um, just three charging stops, uh, Horsham, Keith and Ballarat. All working fine for about 20 minutes, and I was just saying to the um, the your host that I think the limitation now is actually your bladder, and not the um, <laughs> and not the car. The charging speed. I'm charging right now at 75 kilowatts, which is pretty far for and- my old car.
1: And you're finding it easy enough. I mean, I'm still surprised, right, Daniel, when you stop at a traditional petrol station and when we have to start to look at what are the future of petrol stations and Mm -hmm. what you know purpose will they serve into the future as well, that there's still not many EV charging points within a traditional petrol station. You'll see more of them at shopping centres and at supermarket car parks than you will in a petrol it's station. It's starting
3: to happen now. So BP, Shell, and Pole have all got their own brands now. And what you'll find is I think a lot of these forecourts will convert over slowly to mm. um, less bowsers and more plugs.
1: Good because to hear from you.
3: The is already there.
1: Thanks, before. Daniel. Good to hear from you as well. And lots of people, Nick Healy, talking about, okay, well, not only what do we do with our old petrol cars, yeah. can um, they be recycled? But also, I mean, we heard from Mike Sinclair before talking about how quickly... EVs progress and how quickly models become outdated and what do we do with the batteries. So all of the recycling around our transition and crossroads at the moment, that's another concern.
2: It's a really big concern, not only the old cars, but what happens with the new cars, you know... A car from 40, 50 years ago can be a classic car. Will we ever say the same thing about electric vehicles? Will they be able to last long? Or do we have shorter lifespans? Do we have to start thinking about what happens to the materials in them
1: much earlier on? Dr Trevor Thornton is a lecturer in hazardous material management at Deakin University. And Trevor, you've been working in recycling for decades now and now i guess you'd be looking towards okay car parts car batteries are we going to end up with car tips car landfill areas or can we break them all down and reuse them in some way
7: yes good morning rochelle and nick uh, hopefully not i think um <laughs> cars themselves if we take the uh, the battery component out for the moment We've had a pretty good recycling uh, system for them, you know, the metals and all the various components, et cetera. And even the electronics are, are quite valuable, all, all the metals in that. So that side of things, I don't think we're going to end up with uh, old cars just being dumped at a landfill and having a big uh, pile of them there, which is, uh, it's good. But it's the batteries that are really the, the thing that we need to be uh, worrying about.
2: What do we need to worry about when it comes to those batteries? Because a few people on the text line saying, you know, this is the white elephant, the batteries degrade quickly, they cost too much, but what do we do with those materials?
7: So the batteries themselves can be uh, recycled. Uh, the question's like any recycling in Australia, do we have the infrastructure to recycle them at this stage? And given the relatively newness of the vehicles, that um, it's like with uh, solar panels, you know, they, they started to degrade and needed to be mm. recycled. And we thought, are we oh do we have the structures in place? So we need to really start thinking now as opposed to later but the, uh, the we should have started campaign. thinking
1: ten years ago. I mean, the, if the infrastructure is not built already, Trevor, and it's going to take mm-hmm. a while to build that infrastructure, this just adds to that list, doesn't it, of whether or not we're behind when it comes to this transition.
7: Absolutely. And, and you're absolutely right. We should be thinking of all not just for, for batteries in EV vehicles, but a whole range of materials. We should be thinking at the beginning, should we be allowing these things if there is no uh, option uh, to recycle them or, or to reclaim the materials? There's a lot of valuable metals and so forth in them. The, the batteries themselves could be repurposed for other uses. Uh, but again, we've got to have that uh, infrastructure to, to take them out of the cars, make sure they get out because Mm. they can cause problems and fires and so forth in landfills if they uh, just end up uh, being sent there
2: Trevor I just want to go back to traditional cars because one of the big questions we're asking is what does happen to your old petrol car uh, when you've decided to move over when no one's buying them anymore I guess what does happen to them, you've said that they can be recycled but do we have the infrastructure up to make that work on the level we're going to be talking about?
7: That's a very good question. Yes, they've been recycled and have been for years. So we've sort of had those, uh, what we call them, you know, the scrap metal yards, etc. You often see them when you're driving around some industrial areas, you know, banks of cars sort of stacked on top of each other. So, and metals can be exported, uh, So, and there's a lot of markets for those metals. But as you rightfully uh, point out, Nick, we're going to uh, have uh, a lot <laughs> happen. Mm. And and it goes back to recycling. If if, if businesses aren't buying those materials, then uh, they'll end up going to landfill if they can't be exported to, to other countries for use.
1: This transition, and um, when we look at the infrastructure needed, is it happening elsewhere? And if it is happening elsewhere, is it happening by the government or is it happening by a private enterprise? Because people think, hang on a second, <laughs> there is a huge industry here and <laughs> I can make some money out of this. Is anyone doing it well?
7: It, yes, it's doing it well in some of the other countries like America and some of the European countries, etc., where, in a sense, traditionally they've had good recycling infrastructure for a variety of materials. But also the governments have uh, looked at what we call product stewardship. So if you're, like you're, you like you are saying at the beginning, Rochelle, about uh, if the material is uh, coming into Australia, what are we going to do with it when we no longer need it? So mm-hmm. having the car manufacturers or battery providers have the system in place to recycle it. So so we've got to have that sort of carrot and stick. So I think the government's got to turn around and say, well, listen, you, you, we ban them from landfill, we ban them from you know anything else but recycling. That makes them more valuable, and then private industry steps in and starts yeah. putting the infrastructure in, in place. Uh, we did that with tyres. Tyres many years ago were banned from landfill, mm, and what ended up happening is um, a, a range of businesses uh, established to... Uh, collect yes. the tyres, shred them and use them for Cause a Because they're almost forced to,
1: aren't you? Once, that, once the law is put in place, then innovation happens. I, I think exactly. this is leading into
2: what I was curious about, Trevor, is that, you know, we, you think a car and, you know, when you're not really thinking too hard, you're like, oh, it's metal, what are we going to do with the metal? But my car's got a huge amount of plastic mm. in it. It's got cheap leather seats. I would have liked nicer leather, but, you know, you do what you can. <laughs> you know, w- what's going to happen to all of that? Can that get recycled properly? Yeah, a lot of the
7: uh, the plastics can be recycled, uh, but we have problems with plastic recycling in Australia, full stop. Yes. Um, so, so again, that that's got to be looked at. Uh, in, in and going back to your point about you know when all these cars suddenly start uh, uh, he- heading out, uh, but no one's using them anymore, uh, things such as unfortunately the, the cheap leather seats will uh, <laughs> probably end up going to landfill. But you never know that. that I mean, I'm always astonished that when I'm looking around materials that I thought, oh, that's going to end up in landfill, somebody started up a business to uh, repurpose oh. it, uh, recycle it. So we keep our fingers crossed. And again, it goes yeah. back to the carrot and the stick. If the government says these things can't go to landfill, then you know, the car manufacturers, etc. have got to sort of say, hey, hang on a second, we've got to do something about this. And, and then they do.
1: And you could call a business cheap leather seats. There's something about that particular title. There's a text here that says, I cry a little bit uh, inside every fortnight when I see all the large plastic components of cars, e.g. bumper bars and some panels just getting thrown into waste. Trevor, thanks so much for your time as always.
7: My pleasure. Thank you very much.
1: Dr Trevor Thornton, he's a lecturer in hazardous material management at Deakin University. There is opportunity, Nick, isn't there? Because it's quite overwhelming... But if you think about the tyre analogy, then you go, right, okay, yes, I I get it now. You put a law in place and then innovation happens as a result.
2: You say it's overwhelming. This topic felt a lot more clear-cut to me before we started talking to everyone. I was like, oh, yeah, you get petrol cars off the road, you get EV cars on the road. What could be so difficult? I'm now starting to feel overwhelmed and I'm wondering how we actually make a real fist of it in Australia if we are a little bit behind the eight ball already. Simon's
1: in Glenroy. Good morning. Oh good morning. What did you want uh, to say? Yeah, I've
2: got,
3: oh, I've got a. I, I actually just bought an EV sort of late last year, and um, and we've had the opportunity to drive it to South Gippsland where we've got a place, and mm-hmm. uh, we. I actually feel very safe in the EV compared to my petrol car. I've got a uh, an older petrol SUV, and um, it's it's just so much easier to drive. It's it's got uh, a quieter ride, very smooth. Um, people are, I think are, have been misled in the past of what, of what it means to drive an EV, the responsiveness, the, 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 the ride that you get, mm-hmm. um, the quality of the drive and and most importantly there's all this there's a lot of new technology that's embedded into your EV and it, it, it assists you to drive and also makes makes the drive safer.
2: So, Simon, so, mean, were you always going to get an EV or is this something as you're researching you realise that it might be the next best car for you?
3: Yeah, I think we, we made the decision. We needed it to, to update our car and um, uh, we just decided that uh, an EV was a better way to go. It was a little bit more expensive but not mm. that much more expensive so we spent probably uh, an extra eight or $9,000 on top of what we would have and... Um, And we've just found that – and one of the things that's really weird is that you drive past petrol stations and you're just like, oh, I don't need to go there. I don't need to go there (laughs) there
1: anymore. (laughs) And the good thing is you probably save money too and not pick up the chocolate bar or get a thing of bloody hot (laughs) chips or something while you're at it, which we all do. Good to hear from you. Thank you. Patrick's in Morriston. Hi, Patrick.
6: Hi, um, actually, Glenn Ormiston. Oh, I've got two points to make. One's a quick little advertisement. Glenn Ors- Glen Ormiston is between Camperdown and Tarang, yeah. and for all the grey nomads towing vehicles, uh, towing caravans with EVs, there is now a brand new EV charger uh, near the police station with plenty of space to park with your van attached. Um, <laughs> Good little bit of other, information. Yeah, the other thing I wanted to add was uh, in relation to classic cars. Um, Neil Young, the um, famous rock and roller, he's been collecting classic cars and converting them to electric since the late 1980s. And um, so he's got these big Cadillacs and all something, and they're converted to electric. And um, where he keeps them and displays them when he's not driving them, the engines are mounted as display units alongside each vehicle. So, um, yeah, he's got all these classic cars. And uh, obviously, he's got the money to indulge this sort of thing. But the technology's there and, and the opportunities are there. And, um, yeah, people are doing it. I, so, this yeah. is
1: the thing, the classic cars and whether or not that theory of if you take out that engine, have you lost the soul, you know, the <laughs> essence of the car? But if you take out the soul, Nick Healy, <laughs> and you put it on display next to the car... That's I'm genius. really
2: taken by that idea. That's actually quite genius. And just what Patrick was saying is, well, I've spoken to a few people right around regional Victoria, and there is a bit of a buzz about the idea that for some of the smaller towns, that EV charging station can become a destination. Yes, you can. You can put it out there, and people, as they're choosing their way to come through, pop that EV station on the main street, not what tucked a huge away, benefit. let people go and have a wander, grab a cup of coffee. There's a real sense. Seymour's done it really well. There's a few places that are really looking at it, and. Um, um, I, I think there's a, a chance for small towns to really make a footprint there.
1: Are you at the crossroads? Are you wondering, do I now consider changing to an EV? Or if you're a classic car holder, is it something that you'll never consider? Drive a seat. This is the Conversation Ooh. Hour. Drive a seat. Yeah. We weren't lying. We said there's <laughs> lots of car socks. Oh, we've started something, Nick Healy, on whether or not you should or could convert a classic car to an electric engine. This says if you convert a classic car to an EV, you don't understand classic cars. And another saying classic cars can be converted and lots of people are converting them. So this is one where it's almost a little bit more emotional, isn't it? It
2: It is very emotional. I will remember for a long time now, many, many years ago, decades ago, uh, Prince Charles, then Prince Charles, converted an Aston Martin to be more fuel efficient and people were up in arms. People were just tearing their hair out about how you could take a beautiful car like that and do anything to it at all.
1: I wonder how people are feeling about it. Greg Bowering is the president of the Classic Cars Owners of Victoria. Greg, is a classic car a classic car without a petrol engine?
8: Well, that's a great question, Rochelle. I put it out to my club earlier this week and the majority of feedback came back that it's really divided the audience. You know, It's probably, I'd say, a third are certainly open to doing the EV conversion, whereas two-thirds are more open to seeing what the future holds with regards to synthetic e-fuels and and other opportunities uh, there as well. And I I agree with what you're saying before. In my opinion, my personal opinion, it certainly does uh, withdraw a lot of what goes into making a classic car uh, lovable. You know, the the heart, the soul, the, the smell, the feel, all that sort of stuff as well.
2: Greg, it would also depend on what you're doing with your classic car, I imagine. You know, my dad um, used to race a lot of vintage. We are often down at Amaru, at Winton. And, of course, the point of that is to race it the way the car would have been driven back in its heyday. I mean, that's the exciting stuff, grabbing those old classic F1s. Or dad used to have a Healey Silverstone and an old Dalro Jag. And, you know, it was about making sure that those cars were, you know, to, to the point of what they were when they came off, you know, the manufacturer's lot. But if you are enjoying the style of your car, mm-hmm. if you want to be able to tool around in it on the weekend, have a bit of fun with it, then maybe an electric conversion isn't the worst thing.
8: Well, look, it, it's up to the you know beauty's in the eye, eye of the beholder. It's, if you wanted to do it, <laughs> I'm more than happy to do it. I know for a fact there's two people, uh, two firms in in Victoria that are, are doing these conversions at the moment. Is it the future of classic car ownership? I don't think so. Is it good to have? There, yeah, why not? It's not cheap. It's cost that you wouldn't get much change out of hundred thousand dollars for a basic uh, conversion. And when you're doing that, you know you're going to be pulling apart a seventies car, a car from the seventies or eighties. So you're going to find rust. It's going to mm-hmm. open up a can of worms. And the, you know, the, I'd say you wouldn't get much change out of hundred fifty thousand dollars to wow. do the swap. Um, and that's just to do it in Melbourne's prices today. What what does the maintenance look like after that? You've still got original brakes. You've still got a battery swap to do in 10 years after that time as well. Will you drive it is the question. What's the resale worth? All these questions need to be answered.
2: So. For people who a classic car is a labour of love, like something they have sweated over to fall together themselves, I mean, that is certainly not on the table at all. I mean, that's a huge mm. amount of money, even you know even before you factor in what you've spent on grabbing the car that you want. Greg, did you hear the caller before talking about what um, Neil Young's mm? been doing about converting to electric and then displaying the old <laughs> the engine? I, I kind Display of enjoyed the, that.
1: Like far <laughs>
8: It's kind, of, it's kind of weird, isn't it? I, I, you know, each to their own. Each to their own. I, I, I'd say confidently, the majority of members of my club were, would certainly uh, much prefer as it was um, That visceral feel. You know, when you, nothing better than a straight six engine with a, a, a wide open throttle and the sound <laughs> of it and the feel, the smell. I find it a little bit weird. Weird with regards to what the, the other chap said. Take the engine out. How can it say... You know, someone's going to do it, of course, but it's not going to be for everyone.
2: Greg, <laughs> you mentioned that many people are hanging on to see what's happening with synthetic fuels, and I guess is mm. there a bit of um, a bit of hope within your community that could be a solid answer?
8: I think that is the... Well, it's the answer that everyone in my club is holding their breath for. Yeah. The, the beauty of, of that is that you can still hold on to your existing motor. You can still tune it. You can still... It's, you know, I looked into it a little bit before the conversation today. and uh, What they've done is they've... Um, created, It's called nearly a carbon neutral uh, fuel by splitting water and green hydro, which produces a, a synthetic methanol, uh, by, which can be converted to an e-fuel. Uh, there's a plant mm. in uh, Chile that um, a large German manufacturer has backed, and that's opened up and operating, and they've got a plant in Tas- Tasmania, just near um, Burnie, that's going to be opening in 2026. Uh, that will, well, you know, all going well, uh, hopefully that will open up a few doors for That's
1: what people uh, future people out for. And just finally, mm. Greg, there's a question here that says, on classic cars, will they cease to be eligible for club concessional permits with modern driveline?" I don't even understand that question, but <laughs> <laughs> I feel like other people need to know the answer to this.
8: Good question. Good question. Look, the beauty of well, one of the benefits of Victoria of owning a classic car is that you are entitled to uh be on the club permit scheme with big roads which is those little red number plates that you might see around and um that enables the driver to be on the road for 45 or 90 days of the year and um with with a obviously benefit and that the whole benefit of doing that is to drive to events or 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 a club day you might have um i know for a fact in new south wales they will not issue a club permit for an ev converted car so if you've got an old 911 or whatever it may be, and you've done the swap, um, you won't be eligible for that um, really? benefit. Uh, mm, that's new new surprise. I'm not too sure what Victoria's doing as yet, um, but we'll keep an end of the ground. Wow.
2: Yeah, Greg, thanks very much for that. Greg Burring's a president of Classic Car Owners of Victoria. Rochelle, once again, state-by-state legislation creating havoc, I think, for many people. Imagine living in a border community and having to make those decisions if you were actually thinking about doing something like a major conversion to a classic car.
1: And there's nothing like when you're on a freeway or you're driving somewhere and there must there's a classic car event on, and then just one after the other drives past you. It's like being at Disneyland. You know, you're like, oh my God, look at this one, look at this one, and yeah. Yeah, you just wonder whether, for those who are passionate about classic cars, whether we'll start to see that shift and change.
2: I don't know. I'm really excited. Later this month, I'm going to go out to Winton where the historic racing's on again. No, I don't. Know. Maybe I'll ask a few other people who are there racing and see if they're keen to do electric conversions. I think I can already guess what the answer is going to be. I'm sorry about that. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a big no.
1: Monkeys in Warren. Morning. Morning. How are you today? Well, what did you want to say?
0: I, uh, I live an electric life. I've got rid of all the uh, fuels and gases. I have two electric cars. One of them's a van. Uh, I got it a year ago and I've done over 20,000 Ks in it um, in, in the space of 12 months. So uh, they are very, very usable vehicles.
1: And we're seeing more and more vans. We're seeing fleets of trucks as well that are EVs. We're also seeing buses. So this is not just cars. But again, it sort of feels like the shift into it is, is really slow. Absolutely. Let's have a chat to Paul. He's in Benalla. Hi, Paul. Good uh, morning.
9: I think it's still morning, is it? it's, yeah, it's still morning. <laughs> what did you want to say? Um, Oh, just on the person talking about 150000 for a conversion, I've done a conversion of an RX-7, which I love the shape of, but not mm. overly in love with rotary engines, um, and that cost me $20,000. I did it myself, um, but that was a, a top quality conversion with great parts and I can't imagine that even if you doubled that and got somebody else to do it, um, that would be 40000 nowhere near 150000
2: Paul, is that a really specialised skill set that you had? Was that sort of, you know, something you needed to uh, do a bit of research on or was that something you were able to do by yourself easily?
9: No, it, uh, I had absolutely no idea. I'm a classic huh. car person. I'm 70 and I've, I've owned lots of classic cars, Denner, you know, Ferraris and things like that. And there are certain classic cars I wouldn't change, um, but I was—I had this RX-7 and the motor had gone out of it and um, I liked the idea of electric cars. So I just bought a couple of books and did a bit of Googling, as we mm. all do these days. And uh, with, I'm, I'm, I'm a am a Well, I'm glad mechanic. that works for
1: you, but I have to say people do need to be very, very careful. We've done shows on the future of mechanics and these are electrics that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you, you know... Uh, I'm glad that it worked out for you, um, Paul, I really am, but you do need to be very, very careful uh, and, and know what you're doing or, or take it to someone because it can be dangerous because we're talking about electrics. Let's have a quick chat with Andrew, who's in Broadford. Hi, Andrew. Hey, a the
5: will be buying an electric vehicle for, um, two reasons. Firstly, Toyota have got a fantastic hydrogen vehicle that have made a couple of thousand of them lot more in the way, and they've got far better economy, towing ability and all the rest of it. But the other reason I put them an right electric vehicle is that well, this electrification of Australia with solar panels, I'm hearing today that so many of the solar panels that we're importing in Australia are made with slave labour and from and from coal, and also the electric vehicles we're getting in from
6: China, the
1: same thing. Yeah, They're and understanding, Andrew, it's not a great line. But more of, I mean, of course, there are so many things that we purchase now. People want to know the supply chain and the transparency there. Plenty of texts coming in on the RX7. This RX7 <laughs> sans rotary, absolute blasphemy. You know what? I hadn't heard the term RX7 in some time. Oh. Like, that, was the, that was like the, the fancy car when I was growing up. If someone had an RX7, that was like, whoa, man.
2: Look, Paul mentioned the 246 GTS Dino Ferrari, and I'm a bit over the moon because that is a beautiful car. And if he's ever had one of those, I'm a it little bit Mowey, the RX-7
1: was the Ferrari. All right, it pretty much <laughs> was. Are you currently driving your last petrol car? This is the conversation chitty, bang, chitty, chitty, bang. We could have sung there in unison, "Chitty Chitty Bang Bang." Oh, I'm not going to be get that song stuck. It's going to be stuck in my head all day. Our fine four-fended friend. <laughs> <laughs> Rochelle Hunt and with you. We're talking about whether or not you're driving your last petrol car. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads between petrol and EVs? It feels like we have just opened a can of worms. Stuart Charity is the CEO of the Australian Automotive Aftermarket Association. Stuart, we can't keep up with texts. We can't keep up with callers around why people are either holding on to their petrol car or they're changing to an EV and all of the concerns they have about both sides of the fence. Where are you at?
0: Yeah, look, it's a, it's a real dilemma, Rochelle. Um, uh, look, you know, our industry um, service and maintain uh, all the vehicles on the road. And, and, and the reality is that we, we're going to have a blend of um, technologies uh, for, for the foreseeable future. Um, the simple fact is we've got 20 million vehicles on the road at the moment registered and um, the majority of those are uh, petrol vehicles, um, average age of 11 years. So you know, even if uh, we've done some projections and um, even if uh, 50% of cars by 2030 are, are EVs or hybrids, um, that's only going to represent 4% of cars on the road. And, and, and ramping up from there uh, the tipping point is twenty forty five, where there'll be more EVs on the road. Twenty forty five, okay. So um, we're going to have a blend of technologies for for a long, long time to come. And and um, yeah, you know, I, I think there there still will be choice uh, for, for people for for the foreseeable future. I, I can't see, unfortunately, for those people that uh, love EVs, I, I can't see uh, the petrol vehicles um, going out uh, uh, anytime soon.
2: Stuart, how much pressure does that put on those service centres and the people to make sure that they've got those dual skills? Because mm. I imagine for people who've been working on petrol cars all of their life, suddenly having to, even at the small percentage we're talking about, acknowledge that maybe an EV's is coming their way, is that a big change?
0: Yeah, look, it's a, it's a massive change. Um, you know, as Rochelle was saying earlier, uh, you know, the, these vehicles have... Uh, 800 um, volts running through them so there's there's a lot of occupational health and safety requirements uh, that you, you need to be able to depower the vehicle you need special insulated tools and and, and you need um, uh, specific skills and and we've got you know in the vicinity of 250,000 technicians Australia wide that, that all have to be upskilled so our, our industry is um, you know there's massive demand for EV training. There's a lot of interest in it. Uh, and uh, our industry will be ready as, as, as the, uh, the sales um, ramp up, which they're doing now. So, uh, yeah. It's almost
1: it's like in some, and look, we did a program on the, the future of mechanics. So you can go back through the conversation in our Podcast and have a an, listen to that because, Stuart, many people were saying exactly that, like, okay, well, we'll either skill up some of our current mechanics or we'll bring in and whether you call them a mechanic or an electrician, that's the other thing too. So the, the skill set that they're getting when they're training, it's very, very different. But having maybe one or two people that specialise within your business that look after the electric vehicles. The price point that we're talking, Nick sold his car at the beginning of the year, got what he paid for it. Are you seeing that sort of, do you think that inflation or those high prices for secondhand petrol cars staying around for a long time?
0: Yeah, look, uh, um, things are starting to level off there, um, no doubt about that. But mm. uh, we will, we will see some elevated prices for a while. But once the, the supply chain for, for new vehicles um, uh, fully rectifies, and we've got issues with getting vehicles through through quarantine and, and and what have you at the moment, we do think that they'll they'll settle. I think that the challenge here is if the government doesn't get the settings right, then you'll have the adverse effect of people holding on to their um petrol vehicles for for far, far longer than that eleven years on average at the moment. Um, and that will have a negative effect on our on, on our overall emissions. So it, it is a delicate balance in getting the settings right and making sure that we've got, as uh, as Mike Sinclair said, yeah, you know, this we still don't have the supply of vehicles, the kind of range of vehicles that we want to buy and so on. So and, until we get those settings right, and I know a lot of people want this to move really, really quickly, but if we muck this up, uh, we'll have a negative effect on, on overall emissions and the environment.
2: Stuart, just quickly, we've been talking a lot about conversions, you know, classic cars, but I know it's not the only reason people would want to convert from a petrol to an EV, saving their, you know, beloved chassis. Is that something for your industry or is that super specialised to have that work done?
0: so in the in this historics and classic cars uh, that that is quite niche and, and specialized but th- we have a number of our members um, doing those uh, custom conversions but we're, we're also seeing um, uh, large scale conversions um, there's a, a victorian company called seA that are about to convert uh, uh, five thousand Hiluxes and and and, um, and uh, ranges across to, um, to to ev powertrains wow. because Fleets are demanding uh, that well that, they want to go electric, and and because we don't, you can't buy those vehicles commercially at the moment. Um, they're retrofitting um, electric powertrains on them. So yeah, look, uh, conversion is is is, mm. a, is a growing industry and will be until we can get to the point where uh, we have that, that uh, supply and range of vehicles at the at the right price.
1: And the I mean, when we're talking conversion too, there's lots of people that are converting left to right side drives yeah. because w- the, the the fastest growing car that we're uh, buying at the moment are those huge American-style pickup trucks. You know, I think (laughs) Ram is one of the the fastest-growing cars, and they're huge. I mean, again, I want to plug the conversation now. We went back, you know, we did a show on what's going on with all these big cars and how people feel about them. Given how many people are buying these big pickups, I can't imagine that they would be converted to electric anytime soon. I mean, this is where we sort of have... These conflicting worlds at the moment between people buying huge, big petrol guzzlers and then people wanting small, cheap electric vehicles. Stuart,
0: look, absolutely, and and um, you know I think it's going to take uh, a long, long time for for the entire population to be converted over, and, and that there are there are real issues with the electric technology as it stands today on those larger vehicles and heavy trucks and so on, which is why people are talking about hydrogen and, and so on because because of the range. Uh, towing is an issue. Uh, we we understand, and you can buy those uh, F150 big trucks in the US. There's yeah. uh, you know, there's an F150 Lightning, so it's a fully electric. But uh, if you're towing something, it halves the range. Uh, so you know that that uh, has has implications for people travelling in rural and regional areas, towing cars and boats and that sort of thing. So um, Mike was right in that the, the US is the, the most like for like market for us. So we we really look to the US rather than the, than Europe. Uh, for for where the trends are going to happen for the Australian market because of the similarities
2: just quickly you were saying before that of course you know moving from petrol engine to servicing an EV it's a large shift but I mean today's EVs are not what they were five years ago they're you know EVs in five years time are going to look different again the pressure to keep on top of that technology uh, I mean we haven't seen anything like that for a long time in your industry
0: no, we haven't. We've, we've certainly been working with uh, the, the, the technology. Obviously, diesel came on, and that's, uh, that, that's got different skill sets and, and so on. But um, it, is, it is quite a change. But uh, on, on the flip side, it, it provides... Um, I think young people that, that like technology and, and um, you yeah, know, like uh, problem solving with, oh. with a really career option. So, uh, you know, we, we think EVs will actually attract, um, you know, the, the type of people that we need to, to work in the industry. It's, it's no longer,
2: mm.
0: you know, a dirt, dirty, uh, <laughs> low-paid uh, <laughs> skills, um, uh, profession. <laughs> you know, you're sitting...
1: Come home clean. Uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> sitting on the passenger seat with a laptop uh, diagnosis, yeah, with bolts and so on. exactly. So, um, so yeah, I think there's, there's 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 certainly advantages to it, but the the challenge is going to be, and look, some businesses just won't transition because of the age of the vehicle and the, sorry the business owners and so on. Um, they, they, there won't be enough time for for them to to really gear up for for EV. But um, yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of younger um, technicians and 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 business owners in our industry that are really up for the EV challenge. And, yeah.
1: Good on you, Stuart. Great to hear from you. Stuart Charity is the CEO of the Australian Automotive Aftermarket Association. Just a few of the many texts that's come in, I'll be converting my Ranger Ute to electric in just a few years. And this, you can absolutely 100% guarantee as long as I am alive, I will never convert my Harley Davidson to, <laughs> to electric. And then talking about, you know, how fast or how slow is that conversion moving? Brendan raises a good point here. He's in Richmond. He says, there wasn't a blend of Nokia and smartphones for very long. This will happen much quicker than people think.
2: Technology will always move quicker than you anticipate. It just absolutely has to. It is really interesting to me, Rochelle, that we're still saying people, hearing from people saying that, Electric vehicles don't work for long range and yet we've had several conversations today saying that that's not quite true anymore, that you can get that range on them. I think we still are trying to counteract a lot of myths and uh, misinformation.
1: Absolutely. And you can go back and listen to our shows, many shows that we've done on electric vehicles, on big cars, on the future of mechanics. So if today's show is something that you're interested in, download the ABC Listen app, subscribe to the Conversation Hour podcast and you'll be able to listen to all of those programs.